0: to start winning.
1: Player and team development we expect or hope for. That's been what we've talked about on Stealing Bananas on Friday all season. That's what we're talking about today. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yardsburg You can find my Substack at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at of But yeah, I mean, it, we're, we're getting down to, to the end of it where the player and team development. Maybe I need a new title for these Friday shows because we're more just going to be talking about... What are we going to talk, talk about, Sean? What are you thinking?
2: Well, we're going to talk about everything or at least little pieces of everything. And we had a fun time in the last show talking about some uh, structural elements, talking about some dynasty elements. We will look forward to... Uh, Some big changes that might happen over the course of the next month and really affect the redraft fantasy playoffs, but also how the the dynasty landscape continues to shift. And then, uh, Ben, for those folks who are playing FFPC with us, obviously this is a huge week. The fantasy semifinals and things were upset across the board last week with a lot of high-profile injuries and then... It's just kind of one of those things that as the NFL has decided to do what they've decided to do with the buys, there are a lot of high-profile players who are going to be out this week. And, you know, if you have those guys, you're hoping to get through. Ben, I was kind of joking with the ship-chasing guys in our little email thread that if we could just somehow get through this week, we do have the Jonathan Taylor team in week 14. Now, obviously, they could lose, but they are the heavy favorites, uh, not surprisingly, with Jonathan Taylor and just being the better of the two teams. Uh, if we can spring the upset, you know we we did lose some of our key guys. If we can spring the upset, we have a Taylor-less team in the finals. So that's something that Taylor teams all across the board are going to be dealing with. But if you have Taylor, obviously you want to win this week because you get down to that final game and anything can happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to your point about the NFL schedules, we talked about this right when they released it, or. Uh, maybe not right when they release it, but during during the offseason, certainly sort of how frustrating they balance this. I mean, you start back in week six, they had four teams on bye, then six in week seven, then it went two, four, four, two, two. And now here in weeks thirteen and fourteen, four and four again. So we have, you know, a quarter of the league still not hasn't had their bye. They're either having it this week or next week. And it's just kind of weird coming off two weeks where only two teams had their bye. You know obviously Thanksgiving was in there. There's reasons for some of these things, but as far as people in fancy football leagues, it is very frustrating <laughs> think that they'd be a little bit more aware of the value of you know of fancy football and some of these things on their their overall product. I mean, it, it, like to me, there's just really no excuse to not have a little bit more balance overall. and I mean, you didn't even have to wait until week six to start. I'm sure teams appreciate that they, they're not having buys in week four, which was probably never something that many of the teams enjoyed. But, man, kind of a low key thing there. But I, I, it's almost hard to imagine how poorly the NFL managed the buy weeks this year.
2: Well, you, you add another week to the schedule and it feels like, OK, well, finally, now we're going to sort of be out of this dynamic where you've got to look at who the buys are and how that affects. I mean, people talk about Jonathan Taylor and why he was drafted in the second round. And one of the reasons was that if you have the championship week during his buy, that's going to knock him down a few spots.
1: And, and it's just so bizarre too, in the middle of, of these buys, you know, four and six, what the point I was trying to make, you had four and six buys the first couple of weeks of buys, and you have four in each of the final two weeks of buys, but in the, in the middle five weeks of, you know, buy season, there was three weeks where there was only two teams on a bye, and I just don't understand why it wasn't just like four every week, you know, fairly consistently through that stretch. And then we'd have fewer teams now, where it's a lot more relevant for some of these, you know, fantasy leagues that like we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, this week we have the the Panthers, the Browns, the Packers, the Titans. You know, obviously the Titans are so banged up that it it's not a huge issue, or, or you know, those guys wouldn't even necessarily be uh be available. But Packers. Obviously, some key players there. Browns, some key players there. Panthers, you know, McCaffrey is now injured, but DJ Moore and other guys, and then and then, yeah, you mentioned the Colts next week. I mean, there's just a lot of guys that 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 did also sort of apply to McCaffrey. It did also sort of apply to Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb. I mean, this week, all four of the teams had had running backs that were drafted in the first couple of rounds, but not you know not for the fantasy championship, but for the for the semifinals for any FFPC teams. Um, for sure so anyway
2: and the semifinals are, are important right i mean you obviously can't win the final without winning the semi if you're trying to you know cash and get some of that money you need to win in the semi if you're a team that finished third or fourth and you have to win your league to get into the big money portion of the contest then you have to win so yeah and and really in some ways week 13s more important to, to win. I mean, obviously you don't even
1: play week fourteen if you don't win week thirteen, but it's it's more important because even if you do wind up losing week fourteen, like you said, you you know you get a nice little bump for your league, right? Second place bump.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, and so we'll see what happens here for the five teams that I did with different members of the Road of His Community are directly in that fifteen as one of the teams that actually looks okay for this week. A lot of the teams, you know, not looking so good with the Swift and the Samuel injuries, but One of the parts about fantasy football, one of the parts about structural drafting is that you've got to have that depth and you have to keep fighting when you have these hurdles to overcome. So we'll look at some of those things. One of the injuries, Ben, that uh, obviously affects anyone with Dalvin Cook, especially if you don't have Alexander Madison as the handcuff. Madison, a somewhat expensive handcuff to acquire. So a lot of teams probably did go in a different direction there. But losing Cook really does impact the semifinals. A number of the leagues, as we kind of did a little bit of preview of of some of these leagues, actually the Cook teams were making it through. And I think overall the percentage will be not extremely high. But you have Cook there. But maybe more important now, a couple of the players who have done well and have performed at or above their ADP levels, you have Justin Jefferson. You have Adam Thielen, obviously rooting hard for one and probably rooting pretty hard against the other. But there have been some notes here that the Vikings would actually try and use this receiver firepower to kind of get across the gap. Obviously, in the NFC, a lot of teams are still alive for those wildcard spots. And on the one hand, it makes sense. If you have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, you should be using those guys. Uh, to an extent, maybe you should be using them regardless This isn't exactly what we've seen when Cook was out before, though. Alexander Madison had two very high-touch games in the couple of absences. Contrast that a little bit with where these receivers are. Right now, we talk a lot about the various advanced stats. You've got a ton of really cool stuff in Stealing Signals that you give folks every week. We have a variety of tools that give all kinds of detailed information on Rotoviz. But as I was kind of looking through this, actually some of the just most... Kind of normal stats that people are familiar with i think actually paint the picture for justin jefferson here he's number 10 in targets per game with nine he's number three in yards right averaging 93 yards per game he does have 40 percent of his team's air share he's got a deeper uh target as you can imagine with that at 12 yards down the field than some of the other guys who are kind of up there and do have more targets than he has but he's got this profile that is Utterly dominant, and we've seen him, especially from a yardage perspective, be extremely effective. You look down the wide receiver leaderboard a little bit more, and Adam Thielen is the touchdown guy, right? And he's also having a very nice year. As you kind of project out this Vikings team, do you see now a path for Jefferson to be you know, a guy who, like if we were doing drafts right now, would be a first-round pick? Absolutely. And it could hit kind of like a Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill level rest of the way.
1: Yes. I mean, 100%. It's, it's uh, you know, I do ship chasing with Pat and Pete. We talk about it occasionally. We we were on last night. Uh, we're recording this Thursday. And we started doing kind of like a first round of, of 2022. And we only made it through like five or six picks. But I took Jefferson like sixth overall or something like that for for 2022. I think he should be right up there in the top tier of wide receivers as a first round pick going into next year. He's just been that good all all season. And really he's one of those guys that for me, the situation has really been poor in the sense that from an efficiency standpoint, he's had some misses from just sort of a luck standpoint. You know, I always reference the TD early in the year uh, that he definitely scored.
2: Well, he goes down on the one yard line constantly. Can we get him to stop that? Right.
1: I mean, that's that's happened multiple times now, but Cousins has also missed him a couple of different times on, on what could have been long touchdowns. I mean, he's been a few plays away from being not far behind Cup as the, you know, the clear wide receiver two essentially. And instead he's what is he like wide receiver five right now. Um, but he's played like it. I think when you look at, you know, what stuff drives future production, you mentioned a lot of the the key stats in terms of the shares of of targets and, and air yards and things that he's dominating the yardage production. He's third in the NFL in yardage. He's actually right behind Devonte Adams, even with a, you know, a Baker's dozen fewer catches. The touchdowns haven't been great. he only has six. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's like a, like a, like I think at this point we have enough of a sample that we can probably say that, at least relative to to Thielen's like yardage production and all that, he's going to be more likely to score than Jefferson is relative to all his production and whatever the reason for that is. I mean, I've seen Jefferson a couple of times. I don't know if you've noticed this watching the games, but seems to be a little bit frustrated with Kirk in some spots where,
2: you know, whatever Kirk and Thielen are always on the same page. They're buddies. But I would say he was more than frustrated in the last game. He was livid with a couple of the passes there. He looked very angry, which. Didn't always work out great for Diggs. It seemed like Kirk Cousins was like, I'm afraid of that. I'm not going
1: <laughs> to throw the ball to you. I'm just going to keep the feeling who likes me. Uh, but no, I I do think from just a, a pure talent perspective, and then from the perspective, especially as you look going forward without Dalvin Cook, you just mentioned that. Do they get a little bit more pass-heavy going forward and even next year? Do we trust Dalvin Cook to make it through a full season? I, I mean, I think that's really tough at this point. Obviously, he's he's been banged up in almost every year of his career. And so you have this, Longer term, you know, view where Jefferson has to be the focal point of this offense going forward. It's, a, you know, it's a little bit of an issue with Cousins. I don't I, you know, I think that cuts a little bit of his ceiling down, frankly, but I'm not going to like buy into that so much that I don't think that there's like I think there's overall wide receiver one ceiling the rest of this year. I think there is all of next year. I mean, he's just been that good.
2: Well, he has the fourth best remaining schedule. You go in there, uh, can pull up the different splits in the rotovist Strength of Schedule streaming tool. But I think he could be the guy this year. Last year, obviously, we saw Stephon Diggs. We saw Calvin Ridley. These guys put up massive numbers in the fantasy playoffs. Now, that was contrasted a little bit with the massive game that Alvin Kamara had. So you had to have both Kamara and Diggs. It'll be interesting to see if Jefferson is the guy and kind of who his complement is. When we see those teams that are there at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I had more Jefferson now that we're talking about
1: it. Because, I mean, I think he he, it seems like he is going to be the guy. I I think the other guy that is really interesting the rest of the way is his college teammate, right? The guy he's always linked to, Jamar Chase. Some of my subscribers at the Substack, I was chatting with them this week about just like sequencing in general, the way that players score fantasy points. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, people smarter than me dating back to fantasy douche and many others have, have looked at that and basically found that there is almost no value to it. And so Chase is one of those guys where we can do that sort of little mental thing and say, well, what if he would have started the season with the four weeks that he's had these last four weeks where he's really not had a lot of receiving production. And then went on the stretch, he went on to start the season more recently and the answer to the like that what if is that the whole fantasy community would be frothing at the mouth for this guy right right now right and obviously that's not the actual sequence of events but also even if it was just a little bit more random in and out of you know when his big weeks were as opposed to none of them having come in the last month i think people would be a lot more excited about him and what i would say is you have like i mean what what the the evidence is shown in these um, you know analyses i'm referencing is that there's basically no predictive value in in terms of trying to read into those types of split trends and things like that we do know the Bengals are getting a little more run heavy i would emphasize they were extremely run heavy early in the year when chase was hitting so he actually was showing us this example of how he could be very productive even if the offense wasn't super conducive to, to him being very successful there's, you know, there's other elements. People talk about rookie wall. People talk about him getting more defensive attention. Higgins had a big game last week, which is helpful for the defensive attention. Don't buy the rookie wall thing really at all. I mean, I think it's just as, you know, again, a sequencing thing we should actually expect in a sample of NFL players as large as we have, that there are going to be players that just have a random order of their big weeks and things like that. And so the, the thing that, is most important is just looking at his whole sample. What has he done this whole year? And he has 900-plus yards already. He has eight touchdowns. He's continued to score a little bit over these last few weeks, even though the yardage hasn't been there. I mean, I think we can say with like almost absolute certainty that these last few weeks are not you know, indicative of what he's going to be going forward. And I don't think anyone's even thinking that. But I think there's this concern that he's not going to be anything like what he was at the beginning of the year. I mean, we have to take the whole sample at large. And basically my point is that huge gap between sort of how he's viewed right now, which is sort of skeptic- skeptically and how he would be viewed if he was you know, on a current run, like his early season run, that gap is way wider than it should be, just based on the sequencing of when his big games have come. There's still a ton of potential for him to have some big games going forward. And even like with the, with the Bengals' trends, their run heaviness, it's clear they're talking about they want to do it. The Raiders game was one big example, but they did end up pulling away in that game. The Steelers game, I mean, I'm almost like throwing out because the Steelers were non-competitive, and and especially the big interception before half that we talked about on Monday's show, how that put the Bengals in a massive lead. It was just clear they're going to run at that point. I mean, they have a game against the Chargers this week where uh, a lot of people have mentioned the Bengals' defense has played some really soft offenses. If the Chargers are able to get out, throw, and score some points and force burrow along a little bit and force the Bengals to throw a little bit. That could be a really exciting game. And it's a game that I think everybody's going to be excited for, for DFS and things like that. But chase, especially benefits from that type of an environment. We haven't seen that the last couple of weeks. They had the buy right before that. It's been a while since we've seen a big chase game. I think people are kind of overlooking how good he's been. First of all, overall, and the fact that the, and then second of all, the fact that, you know, all of his good games were early. It doesn't it doesn't mean that he's gotten worse as a player, that he hasn't had those types of big games lately. I think he's just as likely this week to have an explosion again as he is to continue the streak of poor, you know, poor statistical performances.
2: Yeah, it it's an interesting situation because definitely we would have preferred to have him stay hot. And you mentioned the sequencing. The sequencing is a big deal. It's definitely a case where when we look at this long term, we're going to have Chase up there with Jefferson, the receiver we just discussed, and probably CeeDee Lamb in terms of the long term wide receiver one. He's going to be somebody who jumps significantly next year, even with this competition from Higgins and Boyd when we're talking about how people start getting drafted in redraft. The couple of concerns for me, I think, would be that one of the things we discussed during the efficiency and the the really hot stretches where he's scoring those long touchdowns is that, yeah, the efficiency isn't going to be maintained at that level. You're not going to score 70-yard, 60-yard, 50-yard touchdowns every week. But when you're a young player like this and you demonstrate this elite combination of talent and skill, then your volume is going to increase to kind of match that. And then while the efficiency is going to bounce around, the best players also have the ability to create more big plays than average players do. And so you're going to see those occasional efficiency spikes that really help you win weeks. And, you know, winning weeks this time of the year is very, very important. I think the concern that I do have when we talk about how is it going to close out, and we have a number of Chase teams, so we were pretty heavily invested in this idea that he could have another hot stretch again here It's kind of what you mentioned in terms of how they want to run, how Joe Mixon has looked. Uh, We do kind of look at the volume numbers here, and they're not really where we would like them to be since the beginning of week eight, where he slowed down, right? He's averaging seven and a half targets per game. Higgins is at six, just over six. Tyler Boyd's right at five. So he is leading the way there in terms of targets. The kind of surprising thing in some ways is that his catch rate has been really poor. So Higgins ends up with more (laughs) receptions. Far more receiving yards, Higgins being targeted you know, four yards further down the field during this four-game stretch, and also has a much better air conversion ratio. He's up there 80%. Chase down at 46, which, I mean, that's kind of a, a bounce back in the opposite direction from what we saw early that's kind of equally as unsustainable as what he was doing there at the beginning. You mentioned the touchdowns have still been there. There's a ton of upside here. And the thing that you're just hoping doesn't happen is that I mean, I guess I'm rooting really against the Bengals defense, right? I mean, their defense needs to not shut teams down. They need to not have I mean, Joe Mixon playing well is a problem kind of overall from a touch perspective. But it's also a, pers- a problem when he actually gets in the end zone, because then every time he gets in, you know, that's just massively cannibalizing the potential for these receivers, both because they didn't score on that possession. And because now we get into a more run-heavy environment later in the game, so uh, obviously Chase managers are heavily rooting against Mixon to start with, but even more right now, it's just critically important that he slows down a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think you made some really good counters there on Chase's specific profile, especially with the volume he only has six and three targets the past two weeks. I will note that you all, I mean, you also mentioned the efficiency, right? just before the week 10 bye, week eight and nine, when he did start to sort of slow down and the yards were, uh, you know, he started to stretch basically a four straight games where he's had fewer than 50 receiving yards. And prior to that, he had no games, fewer than 50 receiving yards and very frequently, you know, up over 75. He had nine and 13 targets in those first two games where he started to slow down. He just had the really bad catch. That's where he had the really bad catch rate for sure. He's caught six of nine targets since coming out of the buy, but he's only got nine targets over the past two weeks, six, three, uh, in these two games, his three target week last week, he's coming off his lowest target game all season. He had four back in week two, five in week three, no other games below six all year. You know, these, these things can bounce around, right? Even for really good receivers, targets can bounce around. They obviously didn't throw a ton in this game either against the Steelers where he had three targets. They only threw 25 total passes. They only threw 29 against the Raiders. Uh, he did have six in that game point I'm trying to make is I I there's ways that we can split the data. It is only four games. I agree with you though. Obviously there's more to what you were saying with the Bengals running the ball and, and mix in and all of those elements. Very important elements as well. But I, I I'm not concerned about the volume, I, I would say like very clearly. I think these last two games were weird ones. You know, Higgins had a good first half last week and then they don't even need to throw in the second half. The Raiders game He did have the six targets. He had a ton of air yards in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Not uh, a ton of throwing late in that either. The schedule coming up, though, is sort of the point that I wanted to pivot to. They play the Chargers this week, and that could be one where the Bengals' defense has a harder time. They play the 49ers the following week. Obviously not an amazing team, but a team that – I mean, was it last year or the year before? They ran for like 350 yards in Cincinnati. This game is in Cincinnati – Um, just a a team that can be efficient on offense, can run the ball well and and work off of that. And if the Bengals D is a little bit fraudulent, that could be a game where the Bengals trail. They're at Denver the following week. That's, you know, Broncos have played well. And then they have the Ravens and the Chiefs in week 16 and 17. So this next five games, you could see a lot of scenarios where the Bengals are sort of forced into throwing more. These past two games, they've played the Raiders and Steelers. You know, the Raiders have really had a rough season. The Steelers are just not good uh for a team that has a i think
2: still a winning record they're just not a not a good football team. Um they're 500 now. Yeah, sorry. And that the schedule here is really interesting because uh strengths and weaknesses to it in that these teams this stretch I mean they have the third hardest schedule from now through week 17. But I guess I'm enthusiastic about it right the reasons that you were mentioning right these teams that they're going up against have limited wide receivers and at the same time I think we could see some shootouts one of the things that you have to always take into consideration is how was the individual game you know how do you see that playing out week 16 Baltimore week 17 Kansas City you know Kansas City has this reputation for the terrible defense but has actually been very very good at limiting wide receivers do I think that's going to be the same thing when they play Cincinnati no right and i think that this game has the potential for a huge shootout environment now you say that and part of it is just kind of hoping because we've got hill we got chase we've got some of these guys and it's easy to see how the game could shoot out you know it, it could also be just another game like the cowboys chiefs a couple weeks ago where it's like that game looked like a shootout and then neither team did anything and there were signs that that was going to happen and so you know there's there's an enthusiasm and an optimism about what a game could do that doesn't always play itself out, but you're not going to blow out the Ravens. You're not going to blow out the Chiefs. The Bengals are going to have to go after it in those games, and those games are going to be huge as those three teams in particular battle for the number one overall seat.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. And I think. Wait, the Bengals battling for the number one overall seat? That's
2: uh, yeah, that I mean, they could win
0: out.
1: They could. You they, win I mean out. they've got a good team, and I think we're higher that on them than than sort of the. You know the market at large they've been fantastic throughout tyler the boyd
2: says it's the best team he's ever played on i it's it's been fun i love tyler boyd it's like tyler this better be the best team you've ever played on <laughs> <laughs> absolutely if it's not there are some real problems right but we love tyler we love his enthusiasm here the Bengals are still a work in progress um and they had a stretch right before these last couple games where they look terrible and that was also a little bit of a concern for chase so They've been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, and I'm with you. I know I, I liked that take. It just, uh, you know, I like to sometimes emphasize the. You have that that ability to to sneak in these sort of subtle hot takes that can kind of get missed sometimes. So I like to emphasize them. Well, if anybody can fight off Mac Jones, maybe it's Jamar Chase. Yeah, got the, uh... <laughs> yeah,
1: the old Rookie of the Year battle that I'm tilting over currently because I still think chase needs to win that award, but it's going to go to Jones. The, I think the the best point you made that I, I do also want to emphasize is that the schedule looks poor. This is a great example of a time where I'm kind of almost, I'm not throwing out strength of schedule, but we have to understand why players are failing. And a big reason that, I mean, some of it with chase is just the efficiency low, right. But a big reason that the Bengals, the, the thing that we're worried about with the Bengals passing attack is not efficiency. Like they have really good players. You know, maybe there's a little bit of some questions about Burrow, but certainly receivers to elevate him to a, to a degree where like this is a passing attack that I think can score fantasy points on basically any defense. Uh, they're gonna have somewhere to go with the ball. We've talked these last few weeks about how going forward in the NFL it's gonna be really important to have multiple weapons. And one of the things that the Bengals have been able to do, apart from just having Chase and then now getting Higgins going a little bit, is build around that. They've used you you know Uzama well at times. They can obviously use Mixon in the passing game. And then Boyd, who has not had a great year, is still a very good number three receiver in this league. So you have a lot of ways you can go. Uh, Teams can't just key on to certain things. And the passing attack can still be effective. The reason that they have been hurt is sort of their own, by their own doing, by their own design, their willingness to run the ball, which, so our, our, you know, that's fine. It's it's worked for them in in some of these games. Mixon has run well. We're talking, you know, we're, we're talking positively about that as well. But as far as fantasy is concerned, the, the, the issue or the uh, the the cause of concern for Chase and understanding that it's more about pace and play volumes and pa- play volume and pass attempts, getting you know the the juice in the offense is the bigger issue for the Bengals than matchup, right? Because again, teams can beat bad matchups if they're good enough, and I do think Chase is good enough, specifically as a player too, already to be to be able to beat tough coverage and things like that and is enough of a focal point of his offense and all of those things. So for for me, I look at that, look, yes, this is a really tough strength of schedule going forward, but it's one where I'm not throwing that out completely. To your point, there can still be low, low scoring games when we're expecting higher scoring games, but we are looking at this as a stretch where despite tougher matchups, the conditions that have held down the Bengals offense shouldn't be there. It should be different conditions where, particularly against some of these teams like the Chargers and, and 49ers and Broncos, if those offenses are able to push the, the Bengals a little bit, but but definitely against the Ravens and against the Chiefs, you'd expect the conditions to be there for the Bengals to hit what's the better version of their offense and then potentially overcome the matchup. So, you know, just a little bit of like uh, context in, in how, you know, you might want to think about some of these sort of matchup type situations. Obviously, you know, great information to be looking at things like the strength of schedule streaming app at, at Rotovis and looking at, you know strength against different positions this is you know i'm looking at it right now for the rest of the season for this stretch the Bengals have and actually i'm including week 18 so give me one quick second i'm going to pull it off they have the third worst schedule remaining for wide receivers
2: and yet i'm seeing that as a positive for for all these reasons and the thing just kind of from a morality perspective that we do need to see here is that we talk about the game environment and we do need the opponent to get up on them. That is something that we like with the Ravens Chiefs matchups, but Burrow has to be able to perform. You know, Mixon has been running so well. We've been a little skeptical of that, but you have to give him credit for what he is doing. He's one of these guys who doesn't pop in terms of the broken tackle numbers and that kind of thing, but he's been impressive in the open field where if he gets through, he's good at the second level. He's been doing a much better job of that this year than he has done in the past. And if you combine that with Burrow, not getting to his secondary reads, either because of his own inability to get off and to make the decisions quickly and or because the offensive line isn't giving him time. If he doesn't do that, and that's one of the reasons why Tyler Boyd has struggled, then they're just going to keep running the ball regardless of what else is going on in the game. So we need Burrow to step up as well if we're going to get some of these results from the receivers outside of some big plays. I mean, this is a big play machine team in the passing game. I'd like to see them be able to work some possessions consistently down the field hitting their guys and not have a rely so much on the big play
0: colin kelly here the executive producer of the road of his radio podcast network and co-host of the road of his overtime podcast along with the phenomenal sean siegel the wait is over the nfl season is here and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a road his nfl pass you'll get access to all of our content all of our tools and everything you need to help you for that in-season success As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotovis.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: Then we had 10 wide receivers hit double-digit targets this last week, including former LSU and Cleveland Browns teammates Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Uh, we are playing Beckham in our Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League. He was part of our upset victory last week. Gets the 10 targets after not seeing more than – well, not seeing – after seeing just three the previous week and comes out of the bye – is more active. Before we get to him and what the Rams are going to do going forward as they continue to deal with this sort of tailspin that they're in, you mentioned the Browns. They go on the bye here, but we do have some interesting developments there. Landry finally seeming to be healthy-ish, probably the best that he's been uh, for a long time. And now that they no longer have Beckham to force the ball to, we're kind of getting back into that dynamic where Landry could be a volume receiver now we don't necessarily expect him to be this big deep threat although the Browns have used him a little bit more in that role on occasion Uh, he does have the seven receptions in this game plays well maybe the most important play in the game though is one where we know that that uh, Jarvis very athletic very feisty he's thrown some touchdown passes he's thrown some nice passes during the season You do every once in a while get into a situation where if you run that play to the running back or wide receiver, those guys want to throw the ball, right? So doesn't feel the pressure. You're not expecting on these sort of wide receiver pass plays that defensive pressure from the backside is going to end up being the issue, but he does fumble when the Browns could have scored. And that turns out to be uh, key because they didn't have that many scoring opportunities in this game, but Landry looked good when they come back out of their bye. Is he someone now who kind of jumps back into that very startable wide receiver range?
1: I think, yeah, startable is right. Uh, My read on the Browns has basically just been, especially when Beckham's not been there, that, you know, I mean, I think sort of everyone's read, but that it's pretty unconcentrated that a lot of different guys are going to get targets and those types of things. But the way that I talked about it in Signals is like, you know, Landry is also the clear player that if anyone gets to 10 targets like he did this past week, it's going to be Landry. Um, So they have like a a number one, but he's not every week going to be the number one. There's going to be a lot of weeks where he gets five targets and the other guys in the offense also get five and it's just really unconcentrated. And then there's going to be a few weeks like this where, you know, the other top guys get five and he gets 10. I don't think he's going to be a guy who starts to just consolidate targets and have a thirty percent target share and 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 be there like main number one just because of the way that the offense functions. Uh, having said that, Harrison Bryant, uh, his injury is also I think notable here, in that they you know the Browns love to use uh, three tight ends a lot. I think they gave a stat during this game that they've used three tight ends uh, at the same time, uh, like far more than any other team but also they like to use multiple, you know, just two tight end sets a lot. And Bryant would mix in enough that in this game, Austin Hooper played a season high snap share. And Njoku was one percentage point shy of his season high snap share in part because Bryant was hurt in game. Now they might find another tight end to mix in and still do some three tight end sets, but I do think it's a little bit of a boost to particularly Njoku. Uh, You know, Hooper still kind of, always involved. But then then he also becomes the other guy in the offense that I think has the potential to sort of separate and be a, a reasonable a reasonable play for fantasy. Uh, I'm talking about Njoku there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is it is an offense that's going to be a little bit you know less consolidated with their targets or a lot less. I think probably if I had to pick one offense that's the least concentrated, which is something I talk about a lot in Signals as being a pretty important thing we're looking for. I think I would say the Browns are the least concentrated passing game. Maybe, you know, the Patriots or something, but these are passing games that it's tough for guys to consistently have these 10 target games. And so that's, that's my concern area with, with Landry, but he's the one guy that, that
2: can elevate. Well, he's got eight or more targets in four of his last six, which is definitely not (laughs) hitting this, you know, high end wide receiver two or wide receiver one range, but it is decent. It was interesting in this one, when you think about, kind of how we viewed Landry over the last several years. He does have a target depth over 11 yards. He does go for 49 yards after the catch. So we get a little bit more downfield. We see him with the ball on his hands doing some of those kinds of things. You could dream a little bit about this being more of the early career Landry with some air yards, I think, if you're an optimist, if you're an enthusiast. On the other hand, we saw Beckham here in Los Angeles with Robert Woods out. Uh, being more involved in this game as they kind of try and fight back against the Packers. And you know the one big play definitely influences how you see these games. If he doesn't break free for that long touchdown, then we're still very much questioning what he can do. But this has to be a a big step in the right direction.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was also a game where Van Jefferson got nine targets and had uh, a ton of air yards, I think, by... D- distaste, dislike. You're really for... fueling
2: him to, to fantasy success,
0: Ben.
1: Yeah, right. Three catches uh on those nine targets, wore one off the face mask, did have the 79 yard TD. He has these three long receptions this year of over 65 yards that have been a, a huge part of the very limited production that, that we've gotten out of Van Jefferson. Otherwise, has been a guy who doesn't earn, you know. I, I talk about this a lot, and, and people probably wondering, like, well, I'm seeing Van Jefferson score 79-yard TD, so You know, are you just completely wrong on this? I mean, I'll just keep doubling down on it and be like, look, yeah, he's hitting on these long TDs, and that's sort of part of his profile. He's a, he's a speedy guy, but first of all, just having three catches of 65 plus that might make him the league leader. I mean, I don't know that they're like chase has got to be up there. I don't know. There's a lot of guys that have done that. You don't want to just remove the player's top plays out of their profile. But the the main point is that being good at receiver is about drawing targets consistently and doing things, you know, that's not sustainable the fact that every four weeks he has had these massive catches, you know, I still think he could have another one or a couple more going forward, but he's not consistently productive in a way that is relevant to Beckham because Beckham, like you said, comes in, has the 10 targets. They need a guy who's actually consistently snap to snap, able to draw a lot of volume and also make plays on that volume. And Jefferson's main place too. But anyway, I I still think that uh, I look at this game and I'm, I'm sort of saying it this way because Ten targets for Beckham, nine for Jefferson. 120 air yards for Beckham, 164, I think it was for Jefferson. Even more air yards for Jefferson. They both had really strong volume as the you know these co-secondary receivers. I see that as a very big positive for Beckham in his second game with the team. I saw the Jefferson stuff as sort of almost you know more necessary relative to the game environment where they threw a lot and where Beckham was also hurting, right? Had a bat, back injury and some other issues. Still didn't look on the same page with Stafford at times. I think, though, to your question about what happens going forward, we're going to continue to see Beckham be the key number two in this offense. I think we're going to see Jefferson sort of fade away a little bit, especially relative to like this type of a volume game. This was a really, I mean, objectively a good sign for for people who like Jefferson or have him that he got this much volume in this game. But, um, again, if you still go back and look at the large sample the whole season, he doesn't draw a ton of volume on all of his other routes. He's, you know – graded really poorly at PFF and all of these things. I mean, part of the reason he's been so successful is he's run the 24th most routes at wide receiver in the entire NFL. I think it is the Rams have continued to put him out there a ton. As far as guys who've run that much, he's one of the sort of the lowest graded and, and, and least productive in the entire league, even despite some of these long touchdowns. So that's why I was saying I, I'm kind of doubling down on that take. And because I'm doubling down that take, I think that's even more
2: positive for what Beckham can carve out in this offense. Well, anybody to take a little bit of volume away from cup and that'll help those of us who aren't loaded up on cup. We did see, I think kind of a progression in Beckham's favor with the Packers really actually limiting cup here, you know, an 18 point game, if that's limiting, you know, you're having a fantastic season, but he was not dynamic early on in this game. They knew do need that second piece, even if the second piece, is very different in terms of how he plays, how it manifests than what Robert Woods did for the team. We've seen how much they've struggled without Woods. It's easy to say, okay, well, this is an underneath guy. This is somebody who's taking a bunch of handoffs. And I mean, he's not a vertical electric player who makes the defense have to account for him on every play. The Rams will tell you, I mean, they're struggling without Woods. Having Beckham there to make some of these plays is going to be necessary for them to get going again. But as we wrap up today, we have the big game of the week really is Patriots-Bills. It is a mildly positive matchup for both running games that probably is more relevant for Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson than it is for the Bills guys, although Matt Breida was able to pull off the late touchdown that kind of rescued everybody who bought into the Matt Breida is going to be the new guy in Buffalo narrative. We could see the playmaking with him out there if you give Breida some touches i mean he's got that speed in the open field he's one of these guys with the ball in his hands tracking that they do consistently comes up as one of the fastest players in the nfl and that's somebody who doesn't get as many touches to to be able to break those plays that sort of record uh in those categories so we know that Breida has the athleticism he was involved in this game Devin Singletary had some very nice runs sort of late in the third, fourth quarter. So again, when we see some plays there, but Singletary is going to manage to not ever come through for you from a fantasy perspective, the passing games, this could be trouble, right? We have our guy, Kendrick Bourne, you know, he's fourth in racer. He's sixth in fantasy points over expectation per game. He's paying off this very controversial free agent deal that the Patriots gave to him. Now, The Bills do have some key injuries on defense. They're going to have to overcome those. They no longer have all of the pieces of this defense that has been so dynamic. But both of these teams and both of these coordinators limit what the opposing passing game does. You know, they're two of the teams that kind of fit into this dynamic that we have now where they make you run on them. They make you execute long drives. If you have mistakes, then you don't beat them. They're playing each other this week. How do you see this one playing out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually really interested in, in how you see it playing out. I, I've had a tough time reading it. There's been a lot of positive buzz on the Patriots this week. Obviously, the Patriots are playing very well. Uh, in the preseason, I wrote an article uh, with some of the, the articles I read over at Odds Checker. I wrote an article on you know underdogs to win divisions. I only had a couple of picks in that article. One of them was the Patriots to potentially win the AFC East. So I've been sort of on this train. At the same time, I can't help but feel like we're getting a little bit ahead of our skis here. It's almost as if some people, you know, I've started to see a lot of conversation about like their odds to win the Super Bowl and things like that. This is a huge game. I mean, I, I, the the Bills are not a bad team. Obviously, they're at home. It is interesting. The line is is two and a half. Even with the Bills at home, you know, typically we see the home team have a three point, uh, you know, a three point sort of default edge. And so it's right near that, but three points is a key number. And so it being at two and a half is certainly leaning a little bit, the market leaning a little bit toward the Patriots relative to, you know, what you'd expect. I'm yeah. I mean, I don't know. You, you had a a lot of good thoughts there. I'm curious what you think is going to happen in this game because I'm part of me thinks that we get, you know, not part of me, all of me thinks that in the, in the football world at large, we get, really into some narrative sometimes and then get ahead, of, get out over our skis. And it feels like this could be the type of game where Buffalo just crushes new England. And everyone's like, Oh yeah, we should have seen that coming or something. Um The flip side obviously is I do think that they're, I mean, maybe not obviously, but I, I do think that, that the Patriots are pretty much for real. And I, am not saying I think that it's likely that Buffalo is just going to beat them, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get, you get hype and all these things going one direction and,
2: and you question it a little bit. What What are you thinking? Well, we know that Bill Belichick likes to take away the opposing team's best player. And in this case, that's going to be Stefan Diggs. We've seen teams play in such a way that the reads were to other guys, to where we've had time periods this year where Emmanuel Sanders was leading in air yards, where Colt Beasley was leading in targets for not insignificant stretches. And that hasn't really worked. For buffalo now it may be because of injury but beasley has been less involved recently the offense has looked more dynamic again i think it's so tempting when the opposing team is giving you plays that you feel like you should be able to execute And you're telling yourself, okay, if they're going to give us this and we're going to be a Super Bowl caliber team, we've got to be able to run the ball. I mean, they've come out and said that themselves, and they've tried to get Breda a little bit more involved. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting here is that to make the running game work, they have gone to the small speed back, which is not the macho way to approach it, right? Usually when these teams are like, we've got to run the ball, they're telling you, you know, we're going to put our big back in. We're going to run it right up their throats. We're going to establish ourselves as the physically dominant team. And one of the kind of little things that you do here from time to time with some of these electric teams that are struggling, like the Rams and the bills is that maybe, you know, they don't want it to be physical. Maybe they don't like that element of it. It's interesting to me that the bills are like, you know, what we need to do is we need to put our most efficient players out there. We need to get some chunks, you know, running Zach Moss for three yards of carry is not the thing that fixes our offense. But for me, i think if you're going to go out there and say okay we know the opposing team wants to take away Diggs, and they're going to give us these other things you have to also say "Diggs is one of the top three or four wide receivers in the nfl he can get open against anybody he can run all of the routes he can get open at all the levels we have to have a game plan that makes sure the patriots take him away everywhere not just have a pre-snap look that pushes us to some of our other reads But we've got to continually be trying to get him open short to to complete those third down plays. One of the things that we saw a lot more from them in 2020 was Diggs as a dominant possession receiver where anytime they needed a third down conversion, he was there. He's obviously one of the best guys in the NFL between 10 and 20 yards. You have to make sure the Patriots are taking that away constantly, not just occasionally. Right? You can't go away from that from a play-calling perspective. And then down the field, you've got to make sure that they stay to where you can't get a 60, 70-yard touchdown. If you could get digs deep for a long score, it would dramatically impact this game that probably will be in that sort of low 20s finish. Right, A big play here is going to completely change the outlook of the game. So if I'm the Bills and I'm trying to figure out how we win this game, how we kind of get ourselves back as the playoff and Super Bowl favorites and <laughs> diminish all of this narrative going in the favor of the Patriots. And just from a very real perspective, you don't care what people are saying about it. You have to get yourself back to where you are, the team controlling this division. You have to win this game. I think you have to do it through your best players. You cannot let yourself be knocked out of that by the pre snap looks. Stefan Diggs is going to determine whether or not the Bills win this game. If he gets free for 12 targets, Eight receptions, 130 yards. The Bills will win. If he doesn't, they're going to lose. I like it. I think that was. Uh, I think
1: he covered it. I mean, yeah. I'm. I'm skeptical that he will. <laughs> that he will get free for 12 targets, eight receptions, um, and all of that. The Patriots have been playing very good defense lately. And certainly Belichick. I mean, people question that. You know that take away the best, um, the best player on the opposing offense. Sort of line of thinking, or at least don't say that I, I, I've certainly seen comments that are like, it doesn't make him a genius. Like anyone's trying to do that. Any defensive coordinator is trying to do that. Then maybe he's just more effective at it. Right. Like it, you know, if we're sitting here and seeing that when Diggs is not involved, this team is not very good offensively. They don't have running backs that just answer the bell. They don't have a deep stable of other pass catchers that answer the bell. And so you need Diggs to be, leading things and if we're able to see that i'm sure belichick is seeing that and it will be a focal point it'll be very interesting like you said uh to see if the bills are able to make that happen
2: the other thing i would kind of expect in this game is that when they take digs away one of the things and it happens kind of either way but they need josh allen to convert a lot of third downs with his legs we have to expect the Patriots to really punish him not with dirty plays but when he's out there Scrambling and running and extending plays and trying to get these chunk plays, trying to convert these third downs. I mean, he's going to get hit hard.
1: I mean, I'm excited for this game. I'm very excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sounding like almost like I'm not. I'm incredibly excited. Our other thing: Ramondre Stevenson, 175 yards from scrimmage in this one. It's a Monday nighter. It'll be a blast to close out uh, Week 13. I'm I'm very much looking
2: forward to it. I think you gave us a great preview of what to expect. We will see how it plays out. Hopefully, it lives up to the expectations. We both have really enjoyed Mac Jones. It's been one of the great stories. With some of the other rookie QBs struggling, it's been nice to have. This one, obviously, it kind of depends on whether you're the Tom Brady side or the Patriots side. We know there are lots of Patriots fans who are very excited to get this evil empire back up and running. I don't know, Ben. I mean, I always root against the Patriots, but you've got to respect excellence and I think that excellence yeah I mean Tom Brady a big part of it but the organization obviously a huge huge part of it as well the NFL just kind of functions better from a story perspective when the Patriots are good and in 2021 they are good again uh, that will wrap us up for today we had a great time chatting with everyone as we mentioned we're going to go to a little bit different tempo with the shows uh, if you can subscribe to our feed you'll get those when they come out won't miss a thing that way good luck in week 13 obviously a huge week regardless of whether you're in your fantasy month finals or you're making that final push to get a buy or to get into the playoffs in your home leagues we are rooting for you there uh, get what you need to get i'm sean siegel with me as always is ben gretchen you can follow at yards per gretch subscribe to the awesome stealing signals newsletter subscribe to rotaviz and get 10 off with the coupon code rv radio 2021 at checkout leave us a rating and review. If you are so supposed we appreciate all those. Refresh it and it helps the algorithm. You guys have done so much for us. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.